Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Would you open them to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we finish the chapter today? 1 Peter chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, listen, the freedom submission brings. The freedom submission brings. Now, just the word submission, it's not a popular word. It's not a popular word in our culture, our society. Everything screams at us to do what we want to do, the way we want it, how we want it, any way we want it. It could be something as simple as an advertising slogan like have it your way or just do it. And when we hear that, it feeds a selfishness in us that says, yes, you're right. You do it the way you want and you assert yourself and make sure your voice is heard. And we feed on that because we want our voice to be heard. There's a natural part to that. It's not even sinful. It's like, hey, we have the opportunity to communicate. God given us words and ideas and feelings and given us an opportunity to communicate. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can cross a line and feed a selfishness in us. The real question, though, for us is not, what do I want? That's going to lead you nowhere. The question to ask is this, God, what do you want? I've submitted my life to you. What do you want for me? What do you have for me? And part of the answer that God will give you, if you honestly ask him that question in your prayer life, part of the answer that God will give you inevitably is submission. That much of the problem among us today, all of us, is areas where we lack submission to God. First to him. It makes sense that in our new relationship with God, born again, that we no longer live for ourselves, but that's where the battle is. Between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit and the flesh, they're contrary to one another. But one of the scriptures after Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, one of the very next scriptures that a brother told me to memorize when I was a new believer was this one in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, where Paul declares very authoritatively, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And how many times I've needed to hear that myself. I have been crucified with Christ. That's a powerful statement. There was an exchange that took place. It was his life for my life, his will for my will, his ways for my ways, although there is still a great struggle in my life and I'm sure in yours. That's what God desires from us. He desires submission. Submission to his will, to his way, and to his word. He wants us submitted in marriage. He wants us submitted in our singleness. He wants us submitted at work. And he wants us submitted in society. So notice with me in verse 13, as he comes to a conclusion in chapter 2, Peter, he writes, therefore, and again, therefore, whenever we come to that word, We need just to ask a quick question. What's the conclusion? What is it there for? What's he connecting? Well, he's connecting us back with verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. 
Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they do speak evil against you, or they speak of you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, right? Good works will be seen. That's what the purpose is of good works, so that they might be seen and they observe them. They might glorify God in the day of visitation. So therefore, here's one of the ways as sojourners that we abstain from fleshly lusts. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for praise of those who do good. Listen, verse 15. This is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Therefore, submit. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle that word. And the Greek word in the original language has the picture of falling in line. It's a military word. It speaks of order and following orders and staying in line. And for sure, folks listening to me right now, near and far, here in this room, downstairs, on the radio, online, for sure I know this. A lot of people have a hard time with this word. A lot of people have a difficulty with even the original language giving that picture of falling in line, doing what you're told. It's not easy to accept. And maybe you personally struggle here. And it comes out in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of people that just have a hard time with authority. And they just like questioning and challenging any authority that they don't agree with. We're seeing even in a season now, our government making decisions that many don't like, overreaching, going far beyond perhaps the authority that's been given to them in ways that we've never seen before. And so the attitude is, the government's so corrupt, it's out of control. And you're asking me to submit to an out of control government? Some say, no way, let's overthrow the government. Let's take over and do it our way. But Peter says here, long before the circumstances that we're in right now, and we have to apply them to where we're living right now, but before we ever get there, we've got to remember who Peter's writing to and what he's, why he's writing it. Peter says this, and it couldn't be clearer. If you're going to abstain, if I'm going to abstain from fleshly lusts, then I'm to submit to every ordinance of man. Why, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Now, wait a minute. Some might say, what if the government's wrong and the laws are corrupt? What should we do then? Well, I think Peter, he laid out for us that there are times where we must obey God rather than man. That's no issue. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, and I quote, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter believed that the, there was a proper place for civil disobedience. It is when the laws of human government make it illegal to obey God. Civil disobedience comes into play when the laws of human government make it illegal to obey God. In such a case, we should obey God rather than man. 
However, we should also realize that in disobeying the law, we will probably have to bear the consequences of disobeying. They come together. And the consequences may involve a fine, imprisonment, or even death. That is the world in which we live. We don't live in a theocracy. God is not the head of our government. Man is. And sometimes men make decisions we like. Sometimes they make decisions we don't like. And as we come to the Bible, we have to understand if there is a call to obey God rather than man, there is probably a high price to pay for that obedience to God. Which is why many people compromise. We have not yet been at that place. In some cases, I think there's a possibility if, you know, you make a hard case about gathering together in a building and such, instead of also looking at the need to operate in our culture. I get all those. I get, I get the understanding. I understand that's the world we've been living in as leaders for many, many months now. But on a larger scale, the reality of submission is mostly in things we just don't agree with. And what do you do when you don't agree? This isn't the only time in scriptures, you know, that we're called to obey the laws of the land and submit to governmental authority. In Romans chapter 13, there are very clear instructions. Also in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus speaks on submission. I mean, when you look at the life of Jesus and you think of the, what, the, what the tax money was being used for in the Roman government, Jesus participated in that system, knowing full well where the money in the fish was going in order to take care of various things within the government. What's really interesting, as we come to a place, what's really interesting with Peter is that he's writing to a group of suffering Christians under the evil hand of Nero. And we looked at that in earlier studies. He wasn't just a bad man. He wasn't just a mean leader. He, he wasn't just what some might call a liberal or what some might call conservative. He wasn't that. He was evil incarnate in authority at the time. Having to deal with and, and having the, the believers having to deal with the threat of life every single moment. He came against the church in a very vicious way. And Peter says to those under the Nero, obey the laws of the land. Why? Well, he gives us a couple of reasons. Notice, number one, it's for the Lord's sake in verse 13. Obedience and submission is for the Lord's sake. And here's the thing. Obedience and submission has everything to do with personal sacrifice and pain. So what you may find in your life, especially those of you that are newer believers, here's what you can expect. The greater you desire to obey God, the more personal pain you will experience. There's just no way around it. Your life is different now. Especially if you got saved later in life where you have developed all these habits and ways of getting around things to get your way. And now it's very challenging. It's like, man, I don't want my way. I want to submit to the Lord. Well, it's going to be painful. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to come up against your pride and your arrogance. It's going to come up against your comfort and ease. It's going to come up against your reputation and what people say. And they're going to, like, Paul, like Peter said earlier, they're going to call you evildoer. You're going to do good and you're going to be called an evildoer. And that's just part of the package. So we submit for the Lord's sake. So he describes in verse 13, to the king as supreme or even to his governors. 
his delegated authority, or even those that are sent by him to punish evildoers. And, and it's interesting, don't miss this. Evildoers here for Peter is connected, the same word connected, just a couple of verses. Who are they going to call evildoers in a culture that hates God? Believers. And people will be sent to punish evildoers. Who will be considered the evildoers? Those that do good. It's all predicted in the scriptures. It was lived out in the life of Jesus, the greatest doer of good that ever walked the planet. All he did was love and serve and heal and help and teach and give. The reward for perfect man, God in human flesh, he was tortured viciously and killed, murdered cruelly. So don't miss this connection here. It says they're going to speak of you, verse 12, as evildoers. And now he's connecting us with now those that are sent to punish evildoers. You submit to them. Why? For the praise of those who do good. Here's another reason, verse 15. It's the will of God. Submission is the will of God. Are there times when we obey God rather than man? Yes. For sure. That's the difficulty. It's where people draw the line. Because even in the decision-making of drawing the line, you can make that line very fuzzy to serve self. See, if we're really on the planet to honor and glorify Jesus Christ, and our primary citizenship is in heaven, that's how we see things. And we know that submission is the will of God. Take it away again from our current circumstances and just think of the challenges in your life when it comes to submission. When it comes to submission to your boss, as we'll see in a moment. Something that we all dismiss like it's no big deal. How about this? Submitting to the speed limit. And there's just that sense of where I don't care what the speed limit is. I don't think it should be 25 here. I think it should be 50. And so you just do your own thing. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says submit to authority. And so whoever made that decision and whatever that, that, that whatever the sign says is the law. Well, I don't like it. Well, nobody asked you whether you liked it or not. Because you're participating in society. You don't live alone. And you think about it, it, maybe you've seen this before where you were driving on a street that was 45 and you're used to 45, 45, 45, and then all of a sudden it struck you that they changed it to 25. And now you're really upset. Go, what do you mean 25? It's always been 45. I grew up here. I live, I, my mom saw 45. My grandma saw 45. And for me, 25? I'm going to drive 45 all I want. And I'm going to do my own thing. But if you took the time to ask the right people the right questions, you may find out that after a careful study and a few serious incidents, they determined with whatever their mathematical formulas that they needed to slow cars down on this road because there's a turn up ahead. And a few weeks ago, the kid got hit riding their bike. And they're making decisions that may impact you, but for the greater good of society. 
And the last thing this world needs is a lot more non-submissive people. And the last thing this world needs is a group of people that say they submit to God, but don't demonstrate that submission in culture. That's what Peter's saying. Oh, we submit to God. Yeah, but you, you don't obey the law. And you actually make fun of it and flaunt it. And there's no witness. It's, you're going, verse 15, against the will of God. This is more important because, you know, this sense of your life being evangelistic, the sense of our church being a witness to the world. Look, there's the next reason. It says that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Your submission is an evangelism tool. It is an opportunity to shine the light of the power of God's word in your life. To demonstrate that even though you may not agree, that you have chosen to obey God above man, which is very powerful. We usually interpret obeying God above man as something that personally serves us. But you know, we obey God above man, which makes us more more submissive in culture, not less. I think of my own life. And perhaps you have the same testimony. Before I was saved, I was a very, very deep lawbreaker. That, that was, n- laws did not apply to me. And I wasn't worried about the consequences, although I should have been. And I wasn't worried about the people I might hurt, although I should have been. I wasn't worried about what it might do to Marie or to my son or to my name or to my family. I didn't care. And then I was born again. And all of a sudden, I began to care. All of a sudden, I began to care, not only the consequences, but I I began to care about what my life might demonstrate to my mom and dad now. Where they, all these years, such a rebellious punk kid, even into my 20s, they've never really seen their son obey and submit as a lifestyle. Now, what would that look to my parents? What would it look to my wife? How would my son see a change? How could my life now become a light on a hilltop? How can now my new life in Christ be such a change from who I used to be? You see, we want to follow God in obedience. Obedience and submission silence the critics and gives an open door for the gospel to be shared when they ask you why you don't cheat on your taxes why you follow the laws, why there's extra effort to do what's right. It gets people's attention. Notice he says in verse 16, you're free. This is all not mandated on you like a law. This is the freedom of the spirit. You're free. You have liberty. That's what he says. But don't use your freedom as a covering for evil doing. That's what vice means. Don't, don't, so they're calling you evildoers. How do you counter that? You obey the laws of the land. You obey, and they'll call you even, it doesn't matter which way. The world has a way of minimizing and mocking, and it doesn't matter. You just expect, you know, if you follow the law, you're just blind sheep. You're just doing what you're told to do. No, I'm free. That's what the Bible says. I'm free. I'm free to obey, or I'm free to disobey. And he says, look, you have such a great gift of freedom. You can walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God will lead you. You can go to the left or to the right as the Spirit takes you out. He says, you're free, but be so careful that your freedom doesn't become a covering for bad decisions and bad behavior. Because you live, as verse 16, as servants of God. 
And then he gives these, here's some things how to do it. Honor, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And just in case you forget, maybe later on when you're reading, just circle the king and right next to it, Nero. Don't, so you don't forget who he's talking about here. There is no other king being at the time of Peter's right. It's Nero. Honor Nero. What? Yeah, honor Nero, believer. That's what he says. You're free in Christ in such a wonderful freedom, but don't let freedom become, place you into a place of slavery to sin. It's not for a cloak. In the New Living Translation, they translate this verse 16, for you are free, you are, not, you are now, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I like that word excuse because one of the things I, I learned early on as a parent, I passed on to my kids, uh, and I've even shared it here at the church, I've shared it in counseling sessions, and it's a very simple principle. If you in your life get, you get used to making excuses for your bad behavior, and if you get good at making excuses, eventually that's all you'll be good for. You just won't allow the Spirit of God to penetrate because you've always got a reason for your bad behavior. You've always got an excuse for your shortcut. You've always got an excuse for your disobedience. And, and it starts with the little things, things that seem insignificant, things that you're looking at, you're talking to them, you go, man, if you just can own this, you can own the rest of your life. No, no, it's not my fault. I mean, our culture, this culture right here, our culture has made victimization a profession. And everybody's the victim. Everybody's the victim. No, Jesus is the victor. You can choose to, you, can, you and I, we can choose to live our lives associating with the one that is victorious over sin and death. But instead, even followers of Christ, they settle for these things. Well, no, it's, all, it's their fault. It's their fault. Look what they did to me. Look what they, no, no, no. Don't let your freedom be an excuse for sin because that's all you'll be living in. Sin and excuses, sin and excuses. And you'll wonder why everything's destroyed. You'll wonder why you're so angry. you wonder why you're so bitter. you wonder why nobody wants to be around. you wonder, well, could it be that you've got this cycle of sin and excuse in your life instead of sin, repentance, and stop? Submission starts with God. You get hung up today on our message here because we started in verse 13, but it doesn't start submitting ourselves to every ordinance. It starts with submitting to God. He'll give you wisdom and direction. He'll show you. In the context here, Peter is teaching us by obeying the law, we can remove unnecessary and illegitimate criticisms to pave the way for the gospel. Jesus did this, we know, by paying his taxes. He took away an accusation. Jesus also told his disciples to pay their taxes, even though Rome used their tax money for purposes contrary to God's will. Later on, Paul would teach us that Christians should pay their taxes too. And Peter had learned that physical retaliation was not the best route since he had tried to defend Jesus by, by attacking the high priest servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter's speaking from experience. You don't, don't take things into your own hands. Submit. Live a life of following in line with the will of God. And so although we have this tremendous freedom in Jesus, it's not a freedom that we can use to sin or to hurt or to harm. And you know, especially with the church language, the longer, longer you're around church and the longer you're around any uh, group of Christians, when somebody starts to get close to your sins that you like to do in the gray areas, things that you know are damaging, things that are hurting your family, things that are hurting you, you you'll begin to hear defensiveness 
in the, among believers usually surrounds this word legalism. You're being a legalist. No, I'm just telling you, man, going out and partying all night while your, mom, your wife is home with the kids, not a good idea. I have freedom. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah, you know, you actually can do whatever you want. Why don't you want to be home with your family? Why is your want to neglect your family, to neglect, like, like think about it. I could do whatever I want. Well, why isn't what you want the will of God? Because freedom will lead you along the path of God's will. You know, I have the freedom. I know it's legal now, Ed. I can smoke pot as much as I want. Well, I guess you can. You have the freedom. But, but why don't you use that freedom to take poison ivy and rub it all over your body? Why don't you take some of the grass that's out here on the curb in front of the church and roll that up and smoke it? You got freedom to do that too? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the choices you make are selfish. You can smoke grass all you want. I give you permission up and down. You can cut it every, every other week when it starts growing again and smoke it to your heart's desire. It won't cost you anything. Cultivate it. We'll plant more for you if you want. But see, the sinful nature in us uses freedom as a cloak for sin, a covering for sin. But it's not covered. It's exposed. Because our freedoms are going to lead us to honoring God. But not only that, notice, here's some things to look for. Number one, your freedom will cause you to honor other people. You know, you can't always agree with people. You can't always agree with their behaviors and such. But we can remember that Jesus died, that they might have life. So we can love our enemies. We can love our enemies. Why? It's because they're our neighbor. And we can honor them. We can respect them. Number two, we can love the brotherhood. We're to love all men, but there's a special love in the family of God. Amen? There's a special love among believers and sisters. The brotherhood, the sisterhood. There's something special about being in the family of God. Sure, we're a family, and we have all the, all the things that go with being family. But we can honor one another. We can love one another. And then notice, he says that we can fear God. We can fear God. Here's the key. Live with a healthy respect and reverence for God and his will for your life. Where glorifying him becomes our number one priority. We fear doing anything that would displease him. Or misrepresent his love and grace and holiness to others. I mean, just think about that. If you want to take a a little post-it note, uh, you want to put a reminder on your phone, honor all people, love the brotherhood and the sisterhood, fear God. Before you ever write an email, before you ever post on Facebook or Instagram, if you follow these three things, everybody will like what you post. Because you'll think of others more highly than yourself. Every time you sit down to write, you know, you're so upset, I'm going to write that email. Wait a minute, does this honor that person? Is what I'm about to say express a love for the brothers or sisters? Do I really fear God in this or I just want to express myself? And then notice he also adds in the context of where they're at, honor Nero, honor the king. So Pastor Peter returns to submission of human rulers. We're to respect them, submit to all government authority, And if human laws contradict God's laws, then we follow God. But our time is not invested in overthrowing the government, but in overthrowing the kingdom of darkness in people's lives. That we would go after the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you glad he overthrew the kingdom of darkness in your life? Aren't you glad that someone came with the good news of the gospel to you? 
Aren't you glad you jumped into a rental car and some station was on that was pre-programmed and you hit all the buttons? It was the same station. Why? Because God loves you. And the gospel will save your life physically and spiritually. So let's get a little bit deeper here. Verse 18. (laughs) Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering, mark that word, wrongfully. So let me just break the bad news to you. You will suffer wrongfully. And it most likely will happen in this servant-master relationship. Now, of course, in Peter's culture, this is referring to literal wickedness of slavery. 60 million slaves lived in the Roman Empire. Many of them, attracted to the love of Jesus, became Christians. And the gospel gave them hope and meaning in life. And Peter's word to these very people is submit. You have a good master? Submit to them. A harsh one? Submit to them. Now, praise God in our culture today, although it did in a very wicked time in the past in our country, but not today. In the way it was in the past, there's no more slavery. But the application from this section is clear. The servant was the person that, made, made, that faced the most difficulty in relating to the person over him because of the authority that they had. And the application today would not be more along the lines of slavery, but rather the employer-employee relationship where there is quite a bit of authority over you in how you do your job, where you do your job, how you're compensated for your job. Work is where it's at. Most of you listening to me right now spend most of your time at work. And so work is where it's at. Work is the theater of God. It's his movie screen, if you will. The main attraction is you. (laughs) You are the actress, the actor, in this movie of life, the Christian is on display at work. Probably the only other place that the Christian is on more display in, its raw, in her or his rawest form is at home. You've got home, the reality, and you have work, the reality. And you know how difficult it is at work. You know how challenging it can be. If you have a good boss, great, submit to them. You've got a bad boss? Oh, yell at them. No, that's not what it says. Take advantage of them? No. With all the stresses and strains, all the tensions and tests, all the deadlines and demands, the world gets to see one of Jesus' own in action. They see you and they go, man, why doesn't that bother you? And they begin to ask. You work so hard. You don't go home early. You're not a clock watcher. And that's noticeable in a world where people don't work very hard and they're clock watchers. Our work is our opportunity to witness. It's not necessarily what they see as much as what he sees. So what's before us, I think, is a matter of perspective. Do do we see work as a drudgery and pain or do we see it as a place of worship and devotion? There are even times here, you know, where I just encourage the guys, I encourage the gals like, man, this is such a privilege to work in a church. But man, there's the flesh here too. I always remind people when I do an interview, I I, I always remind them, you're not going to work at heaven. This is not heaven. These are just people. We're all working things out. We can lose perspective too. 
Somebody even looked at and caught, I forget where I got this from, but somebody even saw this and, and looked at it and they called work the Monday moaning. It's, oh, it's Monday again. I hate Mondays. Oh God, bring on Fridays. And then of course they even have the phrase, thank God it's Friday. And what that means in our culture is the weekend's here. I don't have to work. I've got my own freedom. In many ways you can go party and go do your own thing. And work has just been lost of the time that we spend around other people. Which, you know, I think it's easy to go, oh, Ed, you're so out of touch, man. You haven't been in the workplace for 21 years. You work in the ministry. Change your voice when you say that. The ministry. You're a full-time minister. You work with the angels. And your nose is in the Bible all the time. You get to pray every day, all day. I mean, you don't even see me behind the pulpit. You think I'm six inches off the ground when I walk through. No problems for you. No hassles, no stress, no nothing. You work at the church, man. And over the years, you know, people go, what do you do on Mondays? You golf. On Tuesdays, you, what do I have here? You play tennis. (laughs) That's such a silly thing, but I tried to rhyme the letters. (laughs) On Wednesdays, you go bike riding. Thursdays, you play video games. All you do is 45 minutes of teaching. What do you do around here? You're in the sacred place and I'm in the secular world. Do you know the Bible really never makes that division? Oh, and by the way, that is not an accurate description of my schedule. But the Bible never makes that division between secular and sacred like we do. It never makes that division for the believer where you're one thing in one setting and you're another thing in another setting. And, you know, my time at work before coming here, uh, I worked for a mom-and-pop company and a family company. It was super challenging there. And then we were bought by a corporation, and it was super challenging there. And then we were bought by another corporation, and that was super challenging. And God began to navigate my life up into upper management. And, I mean, it was hard. It was a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job. And I carried two pagers and a cell phone, and it was out of control. And I remember how challenging and difficult it was for me, for my family. It was hard. It was stressful. However, nothing has been more stressful in my life than pastoral ministry. Not church planting, pastoral ministry. I mean, I understand in a very real way why pastors quit. I understand. I understand why they throw up their hands and say, I'm done. It's enough. I understand where, you know, you're just sitting in an office one last time and the husband's yelling at the wife and the wife's yelling at the husband and you're just like, seriously? And then, you know, if they end up making eye contact, they start yelling at you like it's your fault that all 20 years of their marriage is like the pastor's fault. And all the other things that are associated. You know, Paul, when you look at what he went through, everybody goes through things, which is to say this. We all go through things. And we're all in a place where submission is required. The Bible never makes a separation. And according to Colossians chapter 3, in verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do is to draw people to His Son, And the way that works in the workplace is servants, or you could say, verse 18, employees, be submission to your masters with all fear, 
not only to the ones you like, good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. This is the grace of God on display because you have a conscience toward God that you're enduring the grief and you're even suffering wrongfully. Verse 20, what credit is it then if you're beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Listen, verse 23. This is the fat path of Jesus. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Remember he would say in, the, in Matthew, Jesus would teach us, says, look, if you're compelled to go a mile, go another mile. If somebody asks for your jacket, you give them your jacket and give them your cloak too. Be above and beyond what the normal person would be because it's commendable before God and God will use it. All the way as Joseph did all the way into Egypt because there's a plan that God is working out in your life that you don't see the full picture yet. He's working out in your life. That's what you trusted when you were born again. And now you've been walking with him for a while and you're finding out, oh, it's still hard, still difficult, still challenging. Except you're in relationship with your creator. And you have a hope. It's interesting in our prayer time, you can be helpless and yet still have hope. You know that God is working things out. You're on display, especially, listen, you're on display, especially when things go wrong. Suffering because you deserve it brings no glory to God. <laughs> Suffering because you deserve it brings no glory to God. If you deserve it, then what is that really in the eyes of God? You can't say, if you deserve it, you can't say, oh, I just had this big trial at work. Really? What happened? What happened? Why? What's the trial? Well, well, I didn't like this new memo that came down, so I walked in my boss's office, pounded on his desk, ripped it up in front of his face, threw it there, and said, I ain't following this. And what did my boss say? You're fired. Oh, woe is me. Crucified as a Christian. Oh, it's all because I'm a Christian. No, actually it's not. It's because you acted like a jerk. And your boss was afraid of you. And you were insubordinate. And you were deceitful. And you were deceptive. You deserved it. But here's where the temptation is to become a victim. God will have nothing, none of that. You yell at your boss, you rip up a report, you yell at him, you complain, you murmur, you gossip behind the scenes, you stir up strife in the office, your name keeps coming up when people keep coming into the office and you find you're the source of it all. You know, you deserve it. There's no glory to God. None. The only response to that is return to the Lord, repent, and restore that relationship. And some of you may need to go back to your boss. I remember having to go back to, back in that mom and pop place that I worked, going back and apologizing, asking for forgiveness to the family. And it was, wasn't until I was a believer, I, I didn't like working there at all, except that that family provided a living. It wasn't much, but it provided just enough to pay the bills. Well, almost enough, but Marie and I were figured out how to make it last more. Like God, God was so faithful to us, even when we didn't follow him. And I remember going back to each of the family. There was a mom and dad and the kid and their children, adult children and asking for forgiveness because I could have been a better employee. 
I could have. And it just, God was restoring those relationships. I'm still friends with them to this day. And it's a good friendship, a good relationship that I have with them. Here's the thing. If someone says something about you, against you, tries to overthrow you, undercut you, tries to get you fired, uh, you're overlooked, you're underpaid, listen, you find favor with God. That's the place of favor. Don't throw in the towel so quickly if you did what was right and now you're in trouble. Don't be so quick to give up. Stand strong, not in your own strength, but in the power of Jesus because you were called to this, he says, verse 21. You were called to this. This is the will of God, to be countercultural, to be different, to be willing to pay the price to obey God. And as I said, there's a high price associated with, there's a high price associated with obedience to God. It says in verse 24, or excuse me, at the end of verse 23, you might want to have this. Here's a key. You might want to have this highlighted. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. His hope was in the Lord. Perhaps you get righteous judgment here on earth, maybe, maybe not. But when you commit yourself to him who judges righteously, you remember verse 24, that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus, he's done everything for us. We were like sheep going astray, but now we're with the shepherd. And we now choose to obey the shepherd. Sometimes that just hurts when we're treated wrong. It just hurts. But Jesus committed no sins. No deceit was in his mouth, according to verse 22. He himself bore our sins. Why? So that we might die to sin and die to ourselves and die to our agendas and our feelings and our wills and our desires and live for what is right as a vessel to use in a world that so desperately needs him. And you know, you're, you know that you're living out the gospel. You know the right message is on your lips where you can take it anywhere in the world and a person will be converted. Anywhere in the world. Sure, you might need a translator, but you take the gospel message anywhere in the world and it will save souls, no matter what language, no matter what culture, no matter what government, the gospel saves lives. But you know, there is a social type of gospel. There is a cultural, and I, I hesitate to even call it a gospel, but there is something that takes the place of the gospel that you can't transplant from the United States. It won't save souls. It's not even saving souls here. Because it's different for the believer. It's different. It's self-sacrifice. The place for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, is at the cross. And the cross is not merely a decoration or a piece of jewelry. It's an instrument of death. So that when you hear Jesus say, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. He's speaking of self-sacrifice. He's speaking of dying to ourselves. The cross comes first, then the crown. Or as William Penn once said, and I quote, no pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no glory, no cross, no cross, no crown. Because there's a spe specific predictable pathway for the believer that's so different 
than our culture might dictate. Let's turn over to John chapter 16 just by way of review as we close today. John chapter 16. Just so we can be reminded of the words of our Savior, the clarity of his teaching, that we might be reminded of what he has to say to us. In verse 31 of John chapter 16, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. New Living Translation, Jesus says, Do you finally believe? The time's coming, in fact, is already here, when you'll be scattered, each one going to his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and many sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Many tears, many trials, many sorrows, many tribulations. But be of good cheer. Be encouraged as we follow the overcomer. Jesus was not a victim of his circumstances. He overcame them. He rose again from the dead. He's alive today. And you can enter into that resurrection power as well. Amen? So Father, it is a challenging word in a time of which we hear very different messages. And so we just want your spirit, God, to speak to us. We want your spirit to overwhelm us, to bring home to us. Like, like what your word says, you want our spirit to bear witness with your spirit. And our decisions to reflect your decisions. And our heart to be your heart as we grow in maturity and growth. That God, you would have your way with us. And that we would learn submission. Even next week, we'll start learning about, or next time we'll learn about submission in the home. And it's just that unwillingness in our hearts to give in. And our unwillingness in our hearts to Submit to you and to others. And Lord, you're going to have to give us wisdom on the current situation in our country, in other countries, the world, as we see the end times unfolding before us. We, we don't have all the answers for all the things that are happening. We don't know. Some people say they know, but we don't know everything that's happening. We see the times and the seasons. We see things unfolding at a rapid pace. But God, we're asking for your help to discern the decisions to make in the moment. What does this look like in real life? How does it apply in our current situations, in our places of leadership, in our places, Lord, in this world? We know that your word says if we lack wisdom, we can ask you. So we do that on a regular, you know, tonight, regular basis. We don't have every answer for every situation. We don't know when it's going to happen where, like Peter you know, we have to obey God, not man. Even knowing that that may mean death or imprisonment. And so, God, we don't want to be compromisers. So just steal us and uh, prepare us for what's up ahead. And for you today, they've never given your life to Jesus as the church is praying. I want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. 
that you now would know that there's a plan and purpose for your life from your creator, that he loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. So that by faith in him, your sins will be forgiven. Your eternity will be secure and and it'll be an amazing transformation of your life. And I say that to you watching online or watching on a TV screen downstairs or maybe listening on the radio right now. It's no accident or coincidence. God is speaking to you through the agency of a man's voice, reminding you of his love and convicting you of sin. And so today, if you're here, especially in front of us, if you're here today and you say, Ed, I want to repent and turn away from my sins and I want to follow Jesus, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want to give you a chance before you leave this room to get your life right with God. Take the first steps of getting your life right with God. To acknowledge that he's your creator and to acknowledge and admit that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To to have a turning point in your life. To know that you have, you you can know that you know you're gonna spend eternity with God. Anyone here? Amazing the privilege that we have to tell people about the love of God, to tell people about his goodness and his love. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're downstairs and I don't see you, but I'm going to tell you why I pray over that no matter if I see anybody respond or not. I get these notes every day. I want to read one of them to you. Just, just so you know that whatever you're doing for the Lord is not wasted either. So let me find this and just let it sink down. And then I'm going to pray for those of you listening near and far. So say, hey, Pastor Ed, my name is such and such. And I wanted, to, I wanted you to know how much you've helped me through the word of the Lord, Christ Jesus. I was in a state hospital when I found your radio show. And I listened to both your call-in show as well as sermons. I even called in a year ago asking for prayer for myself and some of the brothers I was around. And now God has actually answered because I'm messaging you from my own phone in my new apartment. Because God is so good. I just want to take time out to let you know how God is working through my life and how much you and your call and show and the other pastors have helped me when I was locked up in a state hospital. Now I tell as many people as I could about the show and the radio station and the gospel because people are listening. They're watching. And you might be in a church, you go, man, I don't even, I didn't see anybody stand because you're watching around and praying for people around you. And that's because we don't see everything that God is doing. We don't see everything God's doing when the gospel goes out. We don't see everything God's doing in our life right now. And I don't know if you're going to get a text, you're going to get an email, you're going to get a revelation one down, one day we're down the road where somebody just says, you know what? Your life matters. And you go, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you my story and how God used you in my life. So today, if you want to repent of your sins, you can ask God. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so you can talk to God directly like this. You can say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I believe you lived, died, and rose again for me, Jesus. And I commit my life to following you from this day forward. God, help me to turn away from my sinful past and help me to follow you all the days of my life. 
No matter where you are, if you cry out to God, the Bible says he will in no way cast you out. You come to him, he'll receive you. You're sitting around a pool as we were reading and you just feel helpless. Nobody's helping you. Nobody cares. Everybody passes you by. Seems like everybody's getting healed. Everyone's getting blessings. Everyone's, and you're just sitting there. Nobody's help. Nobody help. Nobody help. The Lord Jesus Christ is ready to enter into your life. And it was a humbling thing, I'm sure, for him to tell Jesus, this perfect stranger, I'm just a hopeless man. And I'm helpless. I have nobody to help me. Well, it's not true for the follower of Christ. And so may the Lord encourage us and strengthen us not to give up in a time of great stress, a time of great helplessness and hopelessness in our own hearts. But the Lord would establish you in your faith. If you respond to the gospel today, text us. 720-336-0897. You can go to our website if you're online. You're already there. You know how to connect. There is a whole section on our website of how to know God. We have a new believer packet uh, that's here. If you're here and you didn't stand, but you responded, we want to put this in your hand. It's up on the web as well. We just finished, I should say we, but Pastor Sergio and the team just finished translating that into Spanish. So now it's in Spanish. For anybody that you know that could use how to follow Jesus in their own language, Maybe you have a language that you speak. We did this with the Romans Road. I think it's a word from the Lord. You have a language that you speak, that you grew up in. Maybe you were born in that country. Well, help us translate these things. Let's get them out in people's language. Let's go to every time. They live in our backyard. Everyone that speaks language, they live right in our next door neighbors. Let's love them in Jesus' name. Make it available. Let's get busy. This is the year to press in, not to go backwards. And let the world be the world, but the church has got to be the church. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.